It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 709, that's 709 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Well, I have another great episode lined up for you today. Joining me as my guest is Larry Levine. Larry's a professional sales coach, podcaster, and Amazon bestselling author of the book titled Selling from the Heart, How Your Authentic Self Sells You. And we're going to talk about the importance of authenticity in sales and how it flows through everything you do. You know, trust is the basis of a healthy sales relationship, and it's virtually impossible to establish trust with another person unless you're acting as your own true self, being your own true self. So Larry and I are going to talk about the importance of understanding your why, why you are in sales, and how you make sure you integrate that why into every step and every interaction in your sales process, and why it's important not just to follow your sales process, but understand the why of each step of it. So it's really about becoming the best version of you. Really, that's what authenticity is. You know, learning how to become this very best version of you. We're going to dive into how you should go about that process. Now, before we get to Larry, I want to take a quick second to talk about the Sales House, the Sales Growth Accelerator for B2B sellers. Now, if you're not completely satisfied today with the trajectory of your sales career, then the Sales House is the resource you need to reach the next level. Members get unlimited access to playbooks, checklists, courses, coaching, mentoring, and an engaged community to help you sell with more confidence, more trust, more impact, and greater acumen. So it's all designed to help you win more deals. So remember, as we like to say in the sales house, learn more means to earn more. So come become the best version of yourself in the sales house. Visit thesaleshouse.com. That is thesaleshouse.com forward slash join. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, Larry Levine. Larry, welcome to the show. Hey, Andy, I'm looking forward to this one. <laughs> oh, yeah? Compared no. to others that you're on? <laughs> no. Yeah, tell me, no, which, ones, you, tell me you, which ones you don't look forward to. <laughs> uh, I will. I'll tell you which ones I don't look forward to. Okay. The ones, where, the ones where I get the questions sent to me a week in advance. How's that? Yeah, well, you know, I don't do that, so. I know. Neither do I. I, I mean, you've been on my podcast, yeah. you know, I mean, it's it's... It's right off the cuff, so. Yeah, I want people just to show up and have a good time. Hopefully it shows that. I know we'll have a good time. So I do want to talk about your book, Selling from the Heart. Um, good book. People should Thank you. pick it up and read it. Uh, there's certainly, hopefully as you get through and listening to this episode of the show, is, you'll go check out Larry's show. Is, you'll see why it's called Selling from the Heart. Um, but I want to talk about some of the things that were sort of <laughs> a few things that caught my attention early in the book that relate to a lot of the things that I'm passionate about these days in terms of educating salespeople and the like. So, uh-huh. um, you know, a quote to start the book from Simon Sinek saying, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, and what you do simply provo- proves what you believe. So why did that strike a chord with you? Uh, you know, for a couple of reasons. I mean, I mean, I live, eat, and breathe Simon Sinek stuff. I, I've read Start With Why cover to cover. Mm-hmm. I get his email, you know, emails every day. His message, for some reason, resonated with me a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And you know, where where it st- where it struck a chord is sales is just brutally tough to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. In my opinion, it, it's a it's sure. it's a tough business. I mean. There's various reasons why people get into sales, but I always tell them if you're going to get into sales, you got to have thick skin. Sure, but yeah. you know, <laughs> absolutely. 
I mean, if, if you don't get out of sales, but you know, it's the whole concept behind really understanding your why. And a lot of people are talking about it, but I don't think people really take it internal. Like, okay, why am I really doing this? What's the purpose behind why I'm in a sales role, whatever capacity you're in, you got to really truly understand what's driving you to do this and why are you doing it? And, and it's simply, I get it. It could be, yeah, I want to, I want to do this because of a paycheck or the money. And if you ask most salespeople why they're in sales, they're going to say, I'm in sales because of the money, but there has to be a deeper reason behind it because. So there have been studies that showed that actually, I think the number is roughly 80% surveys like, yeah, not in it for the money. I mean, I think for me, the successful people are never really in it for the money. And the money is an outcome of what they achieve. Well, and the money will just come. And that's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, we all like to have money, but Mm. it's, you know, the old saying, it's the root cause of all evil. But when it's all said and done, if you do the right thing and you really understand why you're doing this, I'm a firm believer good things just start to happen. Yeah, well, I think the expression money is the root of all evil is based on people who are, to your point earlier, is just driven by acquiring money as opposed to driven to be in service of somebody else, help your buyers, and as a result of doing that well, you earn a lot of money. Well, yeah, you know, it, and, it, and it's so true. And throughout the book, I put, and you know me, so I always like throwing out little zingers, but I put little comments and, and so forth inside the book just to prove a point. They're simple. They're simple to understand. And in one of them, which expands on, on what you just said, as I always said, you know, you must lead with the heart, not the wallet, because people who lead with the wallet first, people can smell that in two seconds. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is, has to do with integrity, has to do with your motivation, making your motivations transparent, the buyer. I mean, I wrote about that actually in today's daily email that I send out to to my followers, which is, yeah, you can't connect if people are suspicious about your your motivations. You know, and so we see this all the time in sales, right? I, I build some trust. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help you. But if you buy today, <laughs> so, wait, I can, wait. so I can get this order this month, then, you know, and then suddenly you've communicated to the buyer that, oh, all right, well, I sort of like the products. I might go ahead and buy it, but the relationship's never going to be the same. No, no, it's not. And, and um, I want to key in on a couple of those words you just said, you know, the, the, the trust, the value, and a and cu- couple of the other ones is people throw those words around and it just rolls off the top of their tongue. Oh, yeah. And it's Most because people you did sales. Well, yeah, because you just came up with but, right? So it's like everything I just said before that really doesn't matter, but I just want you to buy today, mm-hmm. right? And it, why? And, and, and it goes back to why I wrote Selling from the Heart was I just brought me to the table in, and in, in a way, because I came out of a, I think all sales channels have some dysfunction to it, but I came sure. out of an extremely laggard, you know, slow to adopt sales channel. I came out of the office technology channel. And I knew that if I brought my best version of myself to the business table, people were going to sense it. Mm-hmm. especially in a world where there's so much lack of trust in the sales world right now. Well, and- always, I don't know if it's any worse or any better than it's ever been, but um, we're not helping things certainly <laughs> these yeah. days. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, trust is the basis of, of to me, the healthy relationship. I don't care. It's out on the business side or the mm-hmm. person. Sure. Side. Sure. 
And that's what I always said is, you know, it's so interesting. We use these words in the personal, in our personal relationships and personal relationships matter to a lot of us, but how many take what they bring to a personal relationship and can transfer that to a business relationship. And that's what I brought to the table. And and I think that's part of the missing link is treat, you know, treat people the same way. If if you, you know, you take your significant other, your family and things like that, you're going to treat them one way, hopefully a great way. Take that and transfer it to your sales relationships. And it starts to become a lot easier. But I think the big difference is people go, you know, here's my personal life and that's my personal life. Here's my business life. That's my business life. But to me, I mean, I always kept things simple. It's hard to juggle multiple personalities. So I just kept, I just, you get what you get with me. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Cause I mean, it's, it's, let's go back to your use of the word why. I mean, I think that, that there is this one level, the sort of existential why. Why am I doing sales? Why am I in sales? And certainly, I think anybody that's in sales for any length of time, uh, remembers the early days when <laughs> I had I questioned myself probably every day for for a year <laughs> when I first got started about why am I doing this? Yeah, but I think the other why is once people sort of understand that is we don't educate people about okay, so great, my why is I want to serve, I want to help solve problems, so on. But then it's like okay, for every step I take. What's the why behind every interaction I take with and have with a buyer? Yeah. And to me, this is the big disconnect is we have people who want to make a career out of sales and want to be professional and want to be successful. But we just tell them how to do things. We don't tell them why they need to do it and what the impact is. And to me, that's that's like the second level, second order why that that is missing for most sellers these days. And I I, I think part of it's the environment, and we'll yeah, we'll get into that because I have some questions for you about that, but it's Increasingly, we're not, I think, you know, increasingly we're sort of relying on sort of rote training for salespeople and say, yeah, we've got the process and we've got the technology that embedded in the process. And that's, that's primary, you know, is don't question it, just execute the process. Yeah, but how much of, well, I'll, I'll throw something out there. How much of this is sure sales is a process? But how much of it, I mean, goes off into different directions. And I always said, you know, when we start talking about that, the first thing that comes to mind as I start thinking about this is somebody had asked me a while back, you know, just in in a few short words, define what sales is. And I said, it's the art of the help. Mm -hmm. And you got to continually be helping people along the way which means you got to continually be helping yourself, which means you got to continually be learning. You got to continually be bringing the goods Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to your clients. And if you don't expect to be replaced. (laughs) Well, yeah, if you're not, the results are going to show it. So, um, let's talk about that a little bit because it's, and sort of expand on that as you talk about education. And obviously this is, you know, a big thing with me with the sales house and all we're doing to educate Right, thousands of sellers there is um, you know, this whole idea of how how should how much of themselves should people be investing in order to keep learning, and I, we see this disconnect as and certainly with surveys of 
let's say workers are 35 and under is one of the primary reasons they leave companies is they don't feel they're being developed or be given opportunities to develop. And instead, yeah, they might be given this, I said, sort of rote, old-fashioned sales training, but not learning the why, not really understanding, you know, the real importance of, let's say, of every step they take, every interaction they have. And so they have to, as much as we'd love to advocate, and I do advocate that companies need to invest more in this type of education, as long as I've been in sales, which is even longer than you've been in sales, yeah. is um, it's never really changed. So P- I, I've sort of reconciled myself to the fact, and it's part of the reason we started the sales house, is that companies aren't going to step up and help people with this type of education. You have to invest in yourself. How do you, how do you get people to buy into that, though? <laughs> wow. It, um, and it, it's, it's interesting because maybe it was how I was raised, Andy, mm-hmm. but um, I had no problem investing in myself. And, and there's simple and, and there's simple things that I want people to realize, especially in sales. They can invest in them in, this, in themselves by simply reading a book or listening to a podcast. Yeah, or asking lots of free, their lots of free resources. There's, there's a ton. There's a ton of free resources. And what's what's really interesting, and in that that I encourage salespeople to do, and I, I encourage them to do this all the time, is your clients are some of the best source of help. And what I mean by that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is. Too few salespeople will spend time with, you know, I'm just going to throw some titles out there, right? Too few salespeople will really understand the role of a CFO or the, they'll not really understand the role of an IT manager or a mid-level manager or an mm-hmm. manager or somebody in purchasing, right? Help me understand how you do your job, right? Right. Wh- you know, why are you in this job? You know, what are your metrics that you use to define how you do a great job? Mm-hmm. And you'll be amazed because some of the best learning that I got, some of the best education that I got was right from my clients. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've written about this before is, is I was fortunate to run the clients that basically mentored me. Yeah. And, and, and those are just, that's what I encourage salespeople, salespeople to do is there's so, but you have to get vulnerable with yourself, which means you don't know everything. And you have to be okay yeah. showing it. Yeah, true. Yes. But, you know, I've talked about books, podcasts, I mean, simple things to invest in yourself, right? Go, go take, a, go take a, a course on accounting, right? Or go take a course on marketing yourself or go take a course on some forms of technology. These are just simple things that are out there. But it, it's so funny because they'll invest more at Starbucks than they will in their own learning on a monthly basis. Yeah, and so that's why I get back to this point about how do we, how do we, as an industry, as a profession, how do we convince sellers, not just people new in their careers, but people at every stage of their career, you know, whether they're at the beginning or they're, you know, in their fifties or sixties, you still have the imperative to learn and to stay current. How do we, how do we convince people of the importance of doing that? Because this, I, I think, you know, you see some industries like lawyers, accountants, and so on. They have continuing education requirements, and. Yeah, I've had this conversation with other people about, okay, well, are we at a point we should start having these professional certifications? They certainly do in, in other countries for sellers. Yeah. Um, and there's been an attempt to sort of create some of that here in the in the US and in North America. But you know, is that is that what it's gonna take to get people to say, get serious about, okay, I'm gonna invest. I think in uh, California, I think lawyers have to spend twenty five hours a year, I think, in continuing education. I mean, I, I would, I would love to see that. And, and to your point is, um, I have a close friend of mine. She's a retired chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Same, 
same thing. She was required once a year to, to I, I think it was 16 hours. So it was two full days of continual education offsite somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, they, they brought and this was in the Los Angeles marketplace, but they would bring him to the, you know, to a spot somewhere in Los Angeles and they'd have to go through two full days of ongoing certs. I would love, I would love to see that happen in the sales world. I mean, I just don't know what it'll take. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, there's no regulatory body at this point. So, well, uh, well, it, it's, it's interesting because, and I write about it in my, in my book, is the difference between a sales rep and a sales professional. So if we start talking about sales professionals, what are the certs behind you becoming a sales professional? Well, what, you, yeah, I mean, you did, right. You spoke and made that distinction, um, like chapter two or something, you went through that in details. Yeah. So um, in your mind, tell people what you think the difference is between a professional and a sales rep. I mean, I mean, we're talking about it right now. I think sales professionals continually educate themselves and, and sales reps will just do the bare minimum just to get by, but a sales professional, and this is where I keyed in on it. And, and um, I commented on somebody's post. This goes back probably about a year or so ago. And everyone wants to make the analogies, Andy, between a professional sports athlete, mm-hmm. professional sports teams. Oh, we love the cliches. sales people. Yes. We, I mean, we love to do that, right? Hi, you know, you got to go out and hire ex athletes, right? You got to go out and hire ex collegiate athletes and bring them into your sales team. Right. Well, nothing worse than bringing those people into a sales team that doesn't plan, practice, and prepare every day and watch how that athlete starts to succumb to their environment. Mm-hmm. So, I always, so I always say this is, you know, that sales professional cares about what they do. That sales professional is going to go above and beyond. They're going to continually educate themselves to help them do their job better. Yeah. What well, man? But... but- and you make this point in the book, but it's, it's sort of implicit. What you're saying is that sales professionals are sort of this top 1%, 2%, whatever that is. And I think the, the imperative I'm talking about is that if we want to make people believe that they can become the best version of themselves, which I think is really the goal, right? When you're trying to educate – and I, I sort of – I've brought this up before with other people is I think we put too much emphasis on excellence, Right, is I think I think what we want to do is we want to have people be good at what they do. You know, for me, if somebody's good at what they do, they they're reliably hitting quota. They may not be the yeah. superstar, but, exactly. But the way that we sort of manage and label people in sales these days is you're either a superstar or you're you're kind of nothing. Right, right. and and I think that that's partly because we have this fixation on excellence, and yeah, excellence is relative. You know, if somebody's sure. good at what they do. They're excellent at it, right? I mean, it's, it's, but the labels, you know, it's like goods become a pejorative. You know, you're settling to be good. Hey, I would rather have a sales team with, you know, one, maybe one superstar and 80% of the people who are good at what they do, good professionals at what they do, than having, you know, three superstars and everybody else sort of lagging dramatically. Um, to me, this is, I think, gets to sort of, Part of the issue is I feel like we're talking over so many of the, the people in our profession who aspire to be consistently good at what they do, but think that eh, unless they're the top one percent, why put that effort in? No, exactly, and and I, that's why I wrote the first couple chapters. In fact, the thir- first three chapters of the book is all about becoming the best version of yourself. And I think that's great, right? I mean thing is that's not a that's not a destination right becoming the best version of yourself is not someplace you ever arrive and say okay i did it 
because your working environment that's constantly changing. There's no way none of us work in a static environment. We all have a requirement yeah. to keep learning. But if they make that part of their lives, ah, you kind of have an incredibly productive uh, career, make money, support your family, and you know, be fulfilled by what you do by being good at what you do. And I think we just set the bar and the expectation. You go to a conference, everybody talks about being excellent, right? It's like, I just want people to be good. Yeah. Well, and you, and you know what's what's really interesting? I, I'm going to throw a baseball analogy at you, but but Uh-oh. I think we have to, we have to send an alert to the listeners. The sports cliche <laughs> is coming up. Go ahead. No, but but this this proves your point for it because I'm just a baseball junkie. But I think this this drives the point. And that's why you're wearing orange. Oh yeah, right. You can see you can see behind me what, what my, what <laughs> for, my Andy. for our podcast listeners who are not seeing this. I was giving Larry a hard time before because it looks like he's wearing a prison jumpsuit, a bright orange prison jumpsuit. Yeah, and he just, swore that he's not he's not out on probation. He's just uh, likes orange. <laughs> no, it's all good. But to your po- but to your point, if you take a look at some of the most successful baseball managers that are out there today, mm-hmm. they were average at what they did. Mm-hmm. They were successful, but they were average, right? So, you know, take a look at like Mike Sosha from the Angels or Bruce Bochy from the Giants, right? Just to name some of them. Bud Black, who's the, you know, the manager of the Rockies. Right. They, they were good at what they did. Were they the top 1% or the top 2%? Probably not. You're saying, but, as, you're saying as managers or as players? As players. As players, right. But this, this drives your point. But they've had successful careers as managers. And, and where I'm going with this is, you know, we can define this however you want to define it, right? To the point where we drive to become that 1%. And I agree. I think there's too much emphasis being placed on it. So then, you know, the other 99% become confused. But mm-hmm. I think it, it's okay to be average. It's okay to be good. As long as you say, you know what, what can I do just to get a little bit better every single day and not re- just rely on that mindset where I said, okay, I've, I've arrived at being good. Now I'm there. Oh, yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, because, you know, excellence is, is relative, right? Um, yeah. So let me ask you another question then. I, I, I had a lot of things I want to make sure we got to before we ran out of time. Um, this one, I, I probably don't agree with you on this one, is because you wrote in the book that, well, a quote, you're concerned about the, or paraphrase actually, uh, concerned about the current state of the sales profession, which seems a lack of commitment to excellence, a culture of excuses and finger pointing has replaced hard work, grit, and determination. Why do you think that's the case? Uh, I don't think there's... Well, first of all, I'm going to throw it back at you. How come you don't agree? I'm just curious, and that's okay. Yeah, because no, I, I love have I love having discussions. <laughs> yeah, I think that that uh, not so accusing you of this, but I have no. direct, directly accused other people of this is <laughs> on the show. Is I think there's yeah, every generation has a nostalgia about how hard things were, how difficult things were for them when they were coming of age and in, a, in the profession and so on. And yeah, through all my work with with. Uh, Individual sellers and um, companies and so on is, yeah. I don't. I don't really don't think there's a, a generational difference in terms of drive, in terms of wanting to succeed, wanting to achieve certain things in their life. They may have a little bit different path to do it than than we did. But you know, when you and I came of age, we were, you know, sort of typical. As people describe about boomers, is yeah, yeah. You know, we love to be told what to do. 
you know, we didn't expect feedback. We didn't expect, you know, pats on the back. We just, you know, I mean, that's because the way we were raised by our parents, post-war generation parents, whatever. Yeah, people are different, but I don't see any, I don't see any softness. I mean, I, I see people just like we were when we were getting started in our career. But I, you know, it's not you. I mean, it's a people, other people have written books recently, very much more strongly stating similar feelings. Um, yeah, I just, and I think that's, I don't, A, I don't think it's true, and B, I think that it's, it's um, part of this whole labeling thing we do with, with sellers. And if we're trying to get people excited about investing in themselves and seeing what they can achieve, yeah, we don't want to put labels on them that said, yeah, you're behind, or you know, inherently you're you're a little soft. You can't really achieve what we achieved because I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, no, it, and and I agree. But you know, where I was going with this, and 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 maybe it's right of the generation and how I was raised. But I see it even in the sales teams I work with. If if you ask, I'm just say, you know, an average salesperson in the team, right? Hey, why did this happen? Right? How come you missed quota? Or why'd you have a bad week? Or you see where I'm going? This is just start asking them some questions. They'll finger point. Well, this happened or this happened. Well, in all actuality, the reason why you didn't hit quota is because of you. And maybe I take a strong stance on it, Andy. But when it's all said and done, you're solely responsible for your outcomes. Yeah. Well, my my point is, I think if if you transplanted yourself back 30 years ago, you know, into the 80s or 90s, whenever the <laughs> do my math, whenever that was. Yeah. Um, and you were at the experience level you are now, and you're working with sales teams. I think you'd find that the exact same behavior is going on. Yeah. That's, this is the thing is, I, there's so much of, of what people, again, supposed experts talk about that's, that is so anecdotal, but as, you know, people sort of try to take it as, as truth, which is just, I don't think people have changed that much. You know, I think it's, uh, buyers haven't changed. Everybody likes to know the buyers have changed. No, the information available to them is and how they process it and acquire that information has changed. As humans, their brains work the same. Yeah. You know, we don't evolve that quickly over 30 years. You know, give me another 100,000 years. I'll, I'll grant your point. <laughs> People process information differently. But, and I think that's true of sellers as well. And I think for those of us in the business of helping sellers, yeah, I, again, not pointing fingers with anybody. It's just like, yeah, I think we need to take a step back and say, let's not be so nostalgic, you know. Hey, when we walked to school uphill both ways when we were kids, yeah. um, that type of thing. It's situation is pretty much the same. People are still much the same. Some of the trappings are different. You know, like I said technology obviously has changed in terms of people outreach to the prospects and so on. I don't know. I, I'm you know I'm uneasy with how we characterize, and I think that we just again discourage people. Yeah, no, no, I'd agree, it, and and it's so funny because. Um, I think one of the best books I've I've ever read. I was just asked this the other day. What's the best book you ever read? What's what's one book that had a huge impact on you? And I always go besides back. besides my books. You mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and, and I t- I took mine out, yours out, and all that. I go how to win friends and influence people. Right? Sure. Is is it's just an all time classic. And and when you say you know not a lot's changed, I would agree because if you look at the core fundamentals of Dale Carnegie's book, and mm-hmm. I always say. You know, I always say if, you know, in the back of the room, if Dale Carnegie was sitting in the back of a room inside of a sales team and somebody referenced his book, he'd have a big smile on his face because that book's what, 80 something years old and it's still extremely valid today. Yeah, and 1936, I, would, I believe. Yeah. yeah, something like that. And I go, you know, the, the core foundations of his book 
still hold true today. And it's about building relationships with people and changing the way they think. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's just today there, there's, like you said, there's so much more information. There's so much more noise out there, but the core fundamentals are still the same. And the core fundamentals of what you and I've been speaking about are still the same. Yeah. Well, I, and my point was just, that I, yeah. I, think, I think people are the same too. I mean, if I were to say who's gotten soft and <laughs> not that I'm necessarily saying this, but if, if I was to, you know, point the finger, I would say frontline sales managers are where the, the big issue is more than anything else is that, is that again, given sort of the technologies that exist, the more transparency into the, the work habits and the activities yeah. of the sellers is managers have become, and so especially, especially to in certain segments become, you know, sort of driven by the metrics and, and, uh, maybe don't have enough experience. They're a little more fearful of letting people color outside the lines, letting their sellers color outside the lines, which you and I both know is is how people become the best version of themselves. You know, they find what works for them. They become an, not a clone of everybody else in the office or not a clone of, which we see a lot of the new technology tools are being used to say, yeah, we can record calls now. And what we want you to do is we want you to be like, Jennifer, who's you know crushing it, you know everybody yeah. be like her. And it's like oh, Jennifer does some good stuff, but how do I take that and incorporate that into what I do? Or maybe some of it applies to me, some of it doesn't. But there's such an emphasis now on conformity, and 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 I think that's you know if people want to say, well, the seller's a little soft. I think they've got managers that are sort of fearful of letting them develop. Well, okay, so why do you think that happens? Well goes even further up the chain there and and there you and there and there and there you go and and but just a simple view on this whole thing is what are salespeople doing to become better that's that's one thing right because i think we could all become better what are managers doing to becoming better mm-hmm. and who's responsible for that and what are executives doing to become better Mm-hmm. So if, if, if no one's saying, you know, it's just observation. If no one, if salespeople are viewing their sales managers as, Hey, you know, they're not doing anything to improve us, right? They're not improving themselves. And sales managers are going, well, you know what? I see executives really aren't doing anything. It's just a vicious, it's a cesspool. It's just a vicious cycle. And then where does that stop? And I think, I think there have been some changes in that regard Yeah, over the years. I mean, certainly I got started to, Working for a big company, they hell, I was in classroom training for eight to ten weeks my first year. I mean, it was it was intensive, right? Um, doesn't happen as much anymore. No, it, it was interesting. I, I read um, I read a friend of mine's article on Forbes this morning, and I happened to see it scrolling through my newsfeed and LinkedIn, and and it was about uh, he loves asking questions to CEOs and executive level you know, management. Who's your most important asset? And it's always your employees and things like that. Well, the next question is how much time and what are you doing to invest in your employees? Yeah. Well, it's never enough. And, and, and it's, and it, and it's never enough, but you want them to succeed. You want them to become better Then how much and how often are you investing in your people? Yeah. Well, I, I run a program for, uh, offer this as a service for, for client companies as part of the sales houses, uh, a book club for a company. So we'll, uh, just to create a learning environment within the company. And one of the stipulations is to do it is they have to agree to set aside 20 minutes a day to read 
you know, we have a book list that would create 10 books, read over 12 months. The company has to set aside 20 minutes every day during the workday, during the sales hours, for people to stop everything they're doing and read in the book and spend a few minutes reflecting on what they read and journaling about it. And the biggest pushback I get from, was from managers saying, well, we don't have time to do that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, like, my gosh. And it's like, yeah, I can show you the math. Of course you have time to do it. I mean, your salespeople are only spending roughly a third of their time actually interacting with prospects or preparing to interact with prospects. It's a lot of time, right? A lot of time. Oh, no, no, we don't. <laughs> it's just like. It, it, it just means it's not important to them at that time in that moment. Well, I think it's fear. What they're afraid is, well, yeah, if I set aside this time and then we don't meet our number, I'm going to be, somebody's going to point the finger at me. As instead of well, saying, well, this is, this is what I'm doing is, yeah, I'm vesting now so that in future years, you know, we've developed this culture of learning in our environment. We're showing the, the sellers in our organization that we care about them, that we're devoting time and money to put this program on, on an ongoing basis. And now it's all fear, risk aversion. Well, yeah, but but they can, I can guarantee you this. I mean, and you'd agree with me, Annie. They'll they'll find thirty minutes a day to do absolutely nothing, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, I'm not saying this is necessarily new, right? I think, yeah, I wasn't trying this thirty years ago, um, but it's certainly the case where we're at today. And I think it's sort of accentuated just by again greater transparency afforded by the tools we use into our daily activities is people are afraid to say, no, nah, we need to take this time. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, you bring up a good topic because you bring up the book club. I've been, you know, my book's been out four or five months mm-hmm. and, I, and, and this is where I started picking up on the book club is I'll be amazed how many people, you know, I'm sure reading your book as a book club, people are reading my book as a mm-hmm. book club. And I go, you know what? I applaud, I applaud the sales managers that actually do that. They'll take a small group, 10, 12 salespeople, and they'll, and they'll read a chapter, right? They read a chapter a week. I did it, you know, my last tenure inside the office technology world, we had to read three books as a major account team. And we had, you know, every Monday we went around and somebody was responsible for driving the chapter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? And they had to come up with a couple questions to get people to talking about the book. And it was actually really good because if you think about it, I mean, you could read a good couple chapters in 30 minutes. Yeah, well, that's what I said. It's just 15 minutes. Read 15, journal for five. And yeah, yeah when you see companies that do this, then they will hold, uh, depending on what the customer wants, whether monthly or, or quarterly webinars where we talk about this, is the books with them and their sales team. Is, yeah, people are sitting there with their journals and they're referencing it and they wrote stuff down and they understand it. They've integrated the knowledge. Very simple exercise, right? I mean, you think about it. One company has did this with, I don't think any of their sales team had read a sales book. So, yes. so after a course of, of uh, 12 months, you know, they had read these 10 books. They're that much smarter. You know, the parts that they were absorbed and integrated in what they're doing, whether exactly. it's you know, one thing per book or whatever, but they just got exposed to so much more knowledge. They were that much more open to learning, that much more capable. Well, you know, and the and the other thing too, and the, and the positive thing that comes out of this is all those books that those that sales teams read. Imagine the conversation starters that they have when they're sitting at the business table with somebody. Hey, Andy, you know what? My team's reading the book right now, titled dot dot dot. Right? 
Hey, just curious, have you heard about the book before? Hey, in chapter one of the book, this is what I uncovered. Hey, if you don't mind, I mean, if you like reading books, I'll go grab you one of these books and then, you know, you and I can discuss it. See where I'm going with this? Mm -hmm. It's a great opportunity to reposition yourself inside your client and your prospects business. Yeah. Yeah, Well, then to your point earlier too, it's it's over certainly over the course of my career, I've, I've received a lot of book recommendations from client CEOs. Yeah. I mean, I, somebody asked me for, in my consulting business, somebody asked me not that long ago, is, you know, how did I qualify the CEOs of the companies I was potentially working with as a consultant? And I said, well, yeah, my disqualification was based, or qualification was based on, I walked into the CEO's office, how big was the stack of books on their desk? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If they didn't have any books on the desk or they didn't have bookshelves that were loaded with books, it was like, yeah, that's probably not going to work. Yeah. And, 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 and it's so interesting because um, we, I just don't think enough, I, I just don't think there's enough people out there that'll set aside the time to read. And it's, and I, I don't care if it's on audio. I don't care if it's, you hold a book. I'm still old fashioned. I got to hold a book in my hand. Yeah, I don't. But I have an iPad, but everything's on my iPad. But, yeah, yeah, that's sort of the, uh, as a result of having traveled for a long, long time all around the world with this huge briefcase so I could accommodate as many books as possible. (laughs) Because I hated the idea of being on a 17-hour flight with no books. (laughs) To me, that was the (laughs) fate worse than death almost. Yeah. (laughs) Especially depending on who my seatmates were. Um, and one last point, too, I was going to bring up about about books too. Is is um, I think yeah, it's it's been easier to publish books. And I think that's maybe one of the things that's coming into this is sort of a proliferation of uh, books, um, certainly a proliferation of content about sales. And oftentimes, I feel like we need like a rating system for it. You know, it's like. This book was written by somebody who actually went out and sold something <laughs> as opposed to 80% of them where they weren't written. People had some experience perhaps, but, but you just, and maybe it's just a, not just a, a rating based on expertise, but you know, level, right? This is a book geared for this level of, of seller, right? Let's try and make this, you know, we don't, we don't pinpoint that enough. And I think it'd be much more effective rather than writing a book that says, you know, everybody, regardless of the stage of the career should read this book. Have some sort of little rating system on it, so people would say, "Oh, well, that's for me." Yeah, no, and, and I love it because you know the first word that pops into my head mm-hmm. when I just when I was listening to what you're just saying is practitioner. And yeah. you know, and and why I'm going through this is I just had this conversation, in fact, yesterday with somebody, and we were on a call. That we actually were on a Zoom call, and we started talking about that. You know, their sales team really latches on to when somebody comes in their office mm-hmm. and talks about. Hey, let me share with you the, you know, the practicality behind this, or let me share with you what I've been, how I've been using this. Mm-hmm. And salespeople all of a sudden their ears go like this, right? They're all in as opposed to that person who comes into their office and their, their sales team, who's been out of the field for 15 or 20 years, they'll listen, but are they really listening to them? And I think that's the, that's the big key with, with books today is you can tell, and, and I, you read a lot. I read a lot. Mm-hmm. I could tell, you know, in two seconds, in reading the book is, 
okay, where is that person in their journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, you, yes, I, I probably, I probably err on the side of being too judgmental about some of that. I would think the other thing though too is is books just need to be shorter, and you know, I'm certainly not alone in this. And people say, well, business books, yeah, read the first fifty pages because they put the thesis out there, they support it, and you get beyond that, it's like, yeah, it's our filler. Maybe a little extreme, right? But if I look at the books that I've read that had the biggest impact on me over the last, let's say, three years, max 100 pages. Yeah. I mean, mine was, what, 180-something pages? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if, if you take out, you know, the beginning parts of it and all that, if you went to pure content inside Selling from the Heart, you're probably, I was probably 150, 160, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, well, I'm- my next ones will be short. Uh, yeah. For just that reason, you want to be more concise, you'll make it more practical for people. But anyway, we got off track a little bit. But all right, Larry, great talking to you. It's always good talking to you. Yeah. And yeah, I hope that you uh, can evade the authorities a bit longer with your, your orange jumpsuit on. Okay. I just, I just know, Andy, the next time <laughs> you and I hop on a call, it's, I, I'll definitely, I'm making a mental note right now. Don't have the orange jump sweatshirt on, right? Because I'm going to get some backlash from Andy. Do you have a number on the back of that or your name? It's, 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 on, it's on the sleeve right here. Sorry. I just can't see it. <laughs> California Department of Corrections. <laughs> oh, you know, it, it's so funny because um, I told you before, you know, before we hopped on the on on this podcast, I was I'm involved with Kalanis. I had all these, you mm. know, was orange and all that. But somebody actually brought a set of orange, you know, cones mm-hmm. and they'd set them on the table as a gag one time, <laughs> right? Because I wore orange all the time. Are you but at least I could be spotted. Are you a bicyclist? I forget. No, no, no I'm not that's a great, a great that. visibility color you got going on there. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, Larry, fantastic. So tell people how they can connect with you and learn more about selling from the heart. Uh, you can connect with me a couple of different ways. You can go right to the website at sellingfromtheheart.net. You can listen to the podcast through sellingfromtheheart.net and download it on your favorite podcast apps. You can find me active on LinkedIn at Larry Levine, 1992. And if you really want to find the personal side of me, you were born it, in 1992. No, you know, oh, <laughs> no, I, actually, no, I was. Yeah, I wish I was born in 1992. But the whole reason that came out, it was significant to me because that was the year I got married. Ah, well, congratulations! So I'll, I'll be going on 27 years with my lovely wife. This very year, nice, honestly. very nice. And but if you really want to see the personal side and, and what I really enjoy doing, you can follow me on Instagram, and that could you can find me at Larry One Levine on Instagram. All right. Excellent. Good. Well, again, real pleasure. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, my pleasure as well. Anytime. All right, we'll do that. All right. Don't make those promises. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, it's all good. I'll, I'll, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Larry Levine. Join me again next week as my guest will be David Sill. David is head of sales enablement at Discover Org. And David and I are going to talk about why and how to build a culture of trust in a sales organization and how leaders can use this trust to drive the growth and development of the sellers on their teams. Really important topic, so be sure to join us then. 
Before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House, the all-in-one sales growth engine for B2B sellers just like you. Visit thesaleshouse.com. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.